<laughs> our uh, our gospel reading is uh, from the book of Mark, chapter eight, starting in in verse uh, thirty one. And this is Jesus, uh, Jesus speaking with his disciples. Then he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. Then he called the crowd to him, along with his disciples, and said, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? Or what can a man give in exchange for his soul? If anyone is ashamed of me in my words, in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. Um, when we were, uh, when we were on our, our trip, Julie and I were on our trip uh, recently, we met this, this guy uh, named Chris. He's just a really, uh, really exceptional guy. And uh, he's doing work in um, in Slovenia. Now, Slovenia doesn't have the same kind of culinary reputation as Italy, but it's I guess they got is something wrong with this. Okay, try not to hit it anymore. Uh, but it's it's got some really good food there, nonetheless. But um, this guy Chris, he uh, for the life of him, he couldn't see food as anything but fuel. He could care less what he was eating. Um, it didn't matter if it was a five-star dinner. It didn't matter if it was, you know, a hot dog you just threw in the microwave. It was made no difference to him, so long as it gave him the fuel to do what he needed to do. Now, I um, I appreciate food as fuel um, as much as the next person, but I tend to think there's a there's a lot to enjoy along the way. You know, <laughs> uh, if you read my blog, you probably uh, pick that up. Um, now, uh, this morning, I'm just trying to kind of take that seriously. And, uh, you know, Julie and I are obviously on our journey right now as well, um, just in where we want to go and uh, where we feel God calling us. And, uh, and so this is, uh, this is about trying to enjoy it along the way and trying to learn something along the way. And so um, we feel like God has really been teaching us a lot and doing a lot in us and with the, the challenges and the excitement of it and everything that goes into, into what we're doing. Uh, for those who don't know, we're, we're going to be moving to, to Italy um, in a little while, so we're just raising support and preparing to go. And, and uh, so what this is, um, this is kind of a sermon to myself, you know, it's just with what I, what I feel like God is challenging to me. And, and so John and I were kind of talking about this this week about about how to do this, and, and the idea that we kind of came up with is that I'm going to preach a sermon to myself, what I think I need to be reminded of right now, where I feel like God is challenging me, and I'm going to let you guys listen in. And, uh, and hopefully, um, 
maybe just get something out of it and just kind of share the journey. And I don't think much of this is going to be brand new to a lot of us, but I also don't think that's the point. Um, I think, you know, God will teach us something and we think we got it and then he'll bring it back again and we'll learn something else. And, and it just keeps going at deeper and deeper levels. So even though this may not be um, brand new stuff, I, I think it's stuff we need to be continuously reminded of. And I know that I need to be continuously reminded of because I'm going through that right now. Um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start by going back to, uh, to Genesis there. And Bev read uh, just a, a piece of the story of, of Abraham. I'm going to backtrack a little bit from that point. And uh, it's, you know, it's, it's a long story, so we definitely couldn't read the whole thing. But uh, Abraham uh, was living in a city called Haran with his, fam- his immediate family and his extended family. Uh, I think they were probably doing quite well for themselves there. Then out of the blue, God came and, and he spoke to him and said, Abraham, I want you to pick up your family, your possessions. I want you to move to this land. I'm going to show you when we get there. And uh, I'm going to take you and your family. I'm going to make you into, uh, into this great nation. Your descendants are going to be numerous. And uh, I'm going to do something really great. Now, at this time, Abraham was 75 years old. Um, his wife, uh, Sarah, was, um, well, she was nine years younger. So I guess 67. So she was 67. <laughs> Did I get that wrong? I got that wrong, didn't I? Oh, that's embarrassing. Okay, 66. There you go. Um, so she's, uh, they're a little bit older than you'd usually expect um, somebody to have children. At this time, they didn't have any. But Abraham, in obedience, picked up his family and they moved and, and began quite a long journey. And uh, still with this promise that I'm going to take you and I'm going to turn you into this great nation. I need to do something really great through you. Now, Abraham, when he's 86 years old, is sitting around his tent. There was still no children. The descendants that were promised to him still haven't come. Um, and yet this promise is, is given to him again by God. God comes to him again and says, you know, I'm going to make you into a great nation with numerous descendants. And you're going to have, you're going to have uh, children and it's just going to multiply from there. And this is my promise to you, Abraham. I'm going to do something really great through you. And at this point at 86, I think Abraham probably thought that this was, it, w- it was time to take over. If this is going to happen, it was time for him to take control. And so... Um, with the, in the agreement uh, with his wife, he, he slept with one of his servant girls and, uh, named Hagar. And when Abraham was 86 years old, had a child, Ishmael. And I believe, it doesn't say this, but I believe that Abraham thought that this was the fulfillment of that promise. I think he thought that, that he had had it figured out at that point. But when he is 99 years old, when his wife is 90, God comes to him again and says, Abraham, I'm going to turn you into a mighty nation. I'm going to give you lots of descendants. And you and your wife are going to have a child. And I'm going to multiply your family and your descendants from there. Abraham 
is so much older than he should have been um, for this promise to be given to him. This is far past uh, the point of it being an impossibility. And Abraham, in his best efforts, just didn't get it done. You know, in his best efforts, he thought he had it figured out. He thought that he knew how to get this promise um, realized in his life. But his best efforts failed. And he's still trying. It's kind of interesting. He's still trying at this point. He's saying, you know, well, you know, Ishmael would be a really great choice, God. You know, you could really do a lot through him. God says, you know what, I'm going to bless him. I'm going to take care of him. But that's not what I had in mind, Abraham. And, of course, um, there's a story of Abraham laughing at God at this point. And then he has a child, Isaac. And from Isaac comes the nation of Israel. And as Dave said, the, the promise of descendants is still being realized in us as Abraham's spiritual children. Now, it's the, the question that, um, that I think Abraham was, um, was asking, or the, the, the place where Abraham came when he realized that, or he felt that this, what God had promised, just wasn't going to happen, that I think is really interesting. It's that temptation to say, you know, thank you, God, appreciate it, but I'm going to take it from here. And uh, I, I just find that fascinating because I think Abraham's struggle is our struggle. And I think Abraham's struggle is my struggle. And uh, I don't say that in any defeatist way. I just say that in a, let's take stock of this. <laughs> let's just realize where we're, where we're fighting a battle. And... Um, it's one thing to hear God's promises for us. And it's another thing to stand back and allow God to, to make it happen. And the problem is that, that God never seems to take the route that we think uh, would be best. You know, what would have made sense is for God to give uh, Abraham that promise of descendants back, you know, when he's like 20 or something. And, you know, he'd have kids a couple years later, and we'd see things progress from there. And he said, God, wait until he's 99. He waited, you know, years after giving him the promise. I don't know why. It doesn't make sense. That's probably not how I would have done it if I was God. But I think that the, the reason is, is that God is less concerned with the destination than he is with the journey. He's less concerned with where we get to than, than how we walk the path to that point. And it's not to say that the destination doesn't matter. It, it just means that we've got to pay attention to what God is saying to us today. We've got to pay attention to what he's doing in us. We've got to pay attention to, to the turns and the twists of, a, of the journey along the way in order to, to really get what God it really wants to do in us what God really wants to say to us. I used to um, I used to go on hikes with a, a lot of my friends on Thunder Bay, and we'd have a destination in mind for every hike. We'd never just hike aimlessly. We'd always like pick a waterfall or this place with a great view or something to hike to. And for the most part, uh, all of us were just kind of going just for the you know for the social time. We just talk along the way, hang out, take some pictures. But there's always at least one person in every group that just can't think of anything except for getting to the destination that we had in mind. And they wanted to get there so bad that inevitably they would miss all the fun along the way. 
You know, they were out leading the pack, so they couldn't have a conversation. They were stopping to take pictures or to, you know, jump in a river or whatever. They were so concerned with the destination that they failed to enjoy things along the way on the journey. What I, what I think God does, and what I feel like he's doing in, in me along the way, and, and I think Julie would say the same thing, is he takes us along these kind of windy roads, because as we do that, he tests our character. And he builds in us um, a, a greater sense of faith, a greater sense of trust, a greater willingness to, to be obedient no matter what's going on. Now, think of Abraham again. Now, it, it could have happened that Abraham had a kid when he was younger, that God um, you know, started creating these, the, these descendants, this nation of, of, um, of his, you know, his children, his offspring, when he was younger so that he could see it and so that he could you know, understand what was happening. And instead, God waited till he was so much older. And not only that, but Abraham never actually got to see kind of the fruit of it all. He never got to see that nation really established and developed. But along the way, Abraham learned this trust and this faith in God that he never would have, he never would have understood if he hadn't have gone through that process. And later, of course, there's you know, Isaac, the, you know, who was promised by God. And, and God told Abraham to take Isaac and, and go sacrifice him on a mountain. And Abraham obeyed and that obedience was the fruit of the faith and the trust that had grown as Abraham walked that route as Abraham saw um, or had to wrestle through with the questions of faith am I going to trust God along the way am I going to do this am I going to keep going or am I going to find my own route my own way and of course God stopped Abraham before the sacrifice happened. But the willingness of Abraham to go through that is pretty unbelievable. Now, I find this um, pretty helpful as I look uh, at moving forward to what Jesus has for us. um, Because I, I see what we are called to do right now. Uh, Julia and I and our family, is that we're just called to put ourselves in a position so that we can profit from where God is, is leading us. And I mean that in, in our alertness to God, in not trying to take over the situation, the, our, our future, in, um, in being patient, not being anxious along the way, that by doing this, I feel like God is challenging us to learn all that we can as we go through it. To profit as much as we can from what he is building in us right now, because we know that there's going to be fruit from this later, if we're willing to, to keep going, if we're willing to be obedient. And uh, it's definitely not always easy for us. Um, it's not like it's an easy thing just to sit back. And to let it happen and to, to just say, you know, God, this is yours. We're going to go through this in your way, in your time. That is one of the hardest things for me to do. And, I, I mean, I just want to take control. I want to find all these different ways to make it happen. I want it to happen right now in my timing, in my schedule, in my way. And I feel God is saying, you know what, that's great and all, 
But I really want you to let that go. I really want you to let me to take over right here. And uh, kind of as as we thought about as I've thought about this as I've wrestled through this, I, I was remembering when we first started talking about hearing from God, and actually when um, when David Shadbolt was first here. And there were some um, some words, some prophetic words that were spoken over me, and they were really great, you know, about what God sees me, how God sees me, and what He's building in me, and all that kind of stuff. And I was like, "That's great, but what do I do?" You know, you know, I'm, I'm, it's nice to hear what you think about me, but tell me what I'm supposed to be doing right now. And I actually remember David uh, Shadbolt was just kind of like, "Yeah, you're not going to get that from me." And uh, what he told me is that. God is more concerned with who he is building you up to be than he is with where you get to along the way. And it's not like that that other stuff doesn't matter. not like the destination or the resolution of everything that's going on in our life is irrelevant to God. But what is most important to him is who we become. What's most important to him is, is that we allow him to build in us the character and all that kind of stuff that, so that he can trust us once we get to that destination. And God is incredibly concerned with our character, our faithfulness, our trust, our obedience. And he's more concerned with that than with somebody who has it all figured out and with somebody who, who has arrived. And so that's, the, I think, the first thing. The, the, the character side of it, the, the sticking with it along the journey. I think that's the first thing that God is building in, in me. Um, but there's the other side. And, and this Mark 8 passage is a helpful one for me in that regards. Now, of course, in, in this passage, you know, Peter is fighting against the idea that Jesus has to go to the cross. Now, Peter was probably very comfortable with the way things were, and I'm sure that he loved having Jesus right there, you know, to be able to walk and talk. He's in the inner circle, he's getting to see Jesus perform all these miracles. He's, it's probably a really great time in Peter's life. And so when Jesus starts talking about, you know, I'm going you know, to have to go through suffering, I'm going to die, I'm going to leave you, all these different things, that something just rises up in Peter, and he starts resisting that. And he starts rebuking Jesus, which is just crazy to me, and yet is probably also familiar to us. <laughs> and so Peter didn't want to let go of walking with Jesus in the way that he knew it, in the way that he could see and touch Jesus. But Jesus knew that if he didn't go through that, there would be no cross, no forgiveness of sins. There would be no um, victory that he won for us on the cross. And if he didn't leave and return to heaven, um, he wouldn't have made room for the Holy Spirit to come. And so those miracles that, that Peter was seeing Jesus do wouldn't have been available to him in the same way by the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So Peter was grasping onto something that he knew because it was familiar. And Jesus was telling him to let go because he has something far better. And it's this, um, this wrestling that is kind of the second thing that I feel. Um, 
I, I mean, I've told uh, told this story a couple of times, just how we got to this point of, of going to Italy, but I'll just kind of repeat it. And um, Julia and I, you know, we're, just with, with talking to some people, we're feeling that it was time for us to, um, that God was moving us on. And uh, because of the... Um, Oh yeah, yeah. Actually, I should say that a while back, this is kind of years back. I don't even remember when we were thinking of going to Italy, and at the time we started looking at how much it was going to ha- it was going to cost us and how much we we're going to raise, and we're like, yeah, no, this isn't going to happen. You know, we're going to have to find some other way uh, to to follow Jesus. This this is not it. And uh, and so we kind of let that go. And I mean, I think that was the right thing to do, but for other reasons. And, uh, and so when we were feeling that like God was moving us on, we started to look for the very reasonable jobs, uh, you know, around Canada and places that were a little bit more familiar where we wouldn't have to raise money. It would be a little bit easier to pack up our house and pack up our kids and to move. And, but just when we were starting that, um, we were given a call and somebody suggested that we look at Italy. And, it's kind of like what Abraham did when, you know, God told him what was going to happen. We laughed at that. <laughs> yeah, not going to happen. You know, we totally didn't even take it seriously. And so we started looking for these jobs that were, you know, reasonable and safe and secure. And uh, um, we knew what we were getting into. And and nothing was happening. It's just doors were closing all over the place. Doors that looked like, of course, this door is going to open for us. You know, and boom, it would close right away. And uh, and so we started to kind of take stock of our frustration and the the kind of barriers in our way and what does this mean and kind of thought, well you know maybe maybe this Italy thing maybe we shouldn't have just tossed that aside so easily you know maybe we needed to take that um, maybe we need to take that a bit more seriously than we did and so we we looked at it and oh man it's just there's just so much there so much. You know, but okay, you know, maybe this is the right thing. And so we put it out for the survey trip, um, that, that we wanted to take this survey trip. And I don't remember exactly how long, but it was like within three days or something like that, the money was raised. And um, we were a little bit, <laughs> a little bit surprised by that. You know, maybe, maybe God is telling us something in this. And... Um, so we began to feel like our faith was rising to that. That the fact that God answered the prayers and kind of opened that door so easily for us, when all these other doors were just like slamming shut in front of us, that maybe God was saying for us, uh, saying something to us that we needed to take seriously. And so, you know, part of us deciding that that, that this is where we're going to go is, is just in response to that. That, you know, God is opening this door. We can't just ignore that. Yet at the same time, you know, if I'm going to be honest about this, I'm going to say that the money thing is still still, man, that gets to me. <laughs> you know, I, I have a very reasonable type brain, you know, and how it works. And, uh, man, I, I struggle with it. And uh, when, I, when I sit down and I try to do the math and how all the support's going to come in, and, oh, man, God, I don't know how this is going to happen. And, uh, of course, not just the money. There's everything that goes into the move. There's the, the picking up the kids. There's the selling the house and all this kind of stuff. And, you know, I want to be obedient, you know, but, man, is there another way to do this? Is there another way to be obedient? Um, this, is, this is tough. 
And yet, at the same time, th- this is what I hear really clearly from God. And in, in those moments when I feel myself really struggling in faith, I feel like he's saying to me, he's saying, of course the math doesn't work. Of course it looks difficult. Of course it looks like, uh, like this is kind of an impossible thing for you. It is impossible for you. <laughs> let it go. Step back and let me show you what I can do with it. And that's in my better moments. And, and I'm happy to say that's where I feel like God is building into me. And that character thing that I was talking about in the faith, this is where I feel like God is, is taking me and saying, you know what, I want you to let go with what feels rational, what feels, where, where it feels like you can do it, you know, where you can contribute to things. I want you to let that go and let me show you what I can do in this. I want, you, I want you to let go so I can show you where I can take you and where you can't take yourself. And it's possible if God is in it, which I believe he is, and if he's with us along the way, which he said he would be. And so I find myself going from this place of saying, this can't happen to saying, I can't wait to see how God makes this happen. You know? And it's a really cool transition, and it's, it's not a smooth transition. It's not an easy transition. But it's, you know, it's like at one point I was like 80%, this can't happen, 20%, you know, a miracle's going to happen. And I see it shifting to like 20% it can't happen, and 80% God is going to do something really good in this. And... You know, part of that is just by seeing little answers to prayer, you know, where um, I don't know how we're ever going to get the house uh, done in time. And then we have people who come to us and say, we want to help you with your house, you know. I don't know how the money's going to get raised. Well, somebody comes and says, I want to help you with that. And although we, by no means have we seen the answer to the, our prayers yet, we haven't seen the miracle yet, we've seen the start of it. You know, we've seen the, the, the small steps where I know there's going to be many more steps beyond this. And I can't wait to see where God takes that and where God takes us. And I would like to see it, you know, smoother. I'd like to see it easier. But what I really want to see is I want to see God in it. You know, I want to see God doing something great. And I was thinking about, about healing and prayers for healing in this. And it's come up a couple times um, recently where just kind of mulling over, well, why haven't we seen healings as dramatically and ha- as often as we would like as a church? You know, we've really been pressing into that. Why haven't we seen that? And that's a, a really tough question. And it's one that we could avoid by never praying for healings. You know, if we never pray for somebody to get healed, we never have to wrestle with why somebody doesn't. And in fact, the, the churches that, that I grew up in would take that route. We don't know how to deal with the disappointment of not seeing a miracle, so we're not even going to bother asking. And of course, the, the very obvious problem with that is that if you never ask, well, you'll never get to see one, you know? And if you never take that risk, you're never going to have the opportunity to see God come through. If you never kind of let go of what seems reasonable and what seems in our control, then we're never going to see God take it where we can't. 
And, um, and so that, for me, is, is the challenge. And of course, this is my challenge, and this is our journey. You know, to see God come through in this way, and this is our thing to let go of, the control along the way, or the desire to do the rational, safe thing. That's, that's the thing where, just like, you know, Peter had to learn to let go. That's where, that's where I know God is telling us to let go right now. And, you know, maybe in a couple of years, maybe it'll be something else. And a couple of years after that, it'll be something else. But there's this, um, this thing that Jesus says to his disciples where, you know, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel will save it. For me, that is Jesus saying, I dare you to open your hands and give me control. I I. You, you have this life that you're holding on to right now. But the more you hold on to it, the more you're going to lose it. I want you to open your hands. I'm going to show you what it really means to live. I want you to open your hands to me. I want you to see what I can do with those things that, that you're wrecking right now. And uh, the, uh, has anybody ever seen the movie of Mice and Men? It's just unbelievably beautiful movie, and I could never watch it again because I cried too hard when I watched it, which doesn't usually happen. But there's the, the one guy in there, when he finds something he really loves, he just holds on to it, and he holds on to it so tightly that he ruins it, that he wrecks it. And at the end of the movie, he, this is really beautiful girl, and he holds on to her so tight that he kills her. And that is, I, I think, the danger if we hold on to something so tightly that, that we're unwilling to give it up to God, maybe it's, um, maybe it's our, our money, our, our security, our family, our time, any of these things. We hold on to it so tightly, hold on to it, not willing to let it go. We're going to end up destroying this, the, the very thing that we're hoping to keep. But if we learn to, to let it go, we learn to trust God. If we learn to say, Jesus, I want to give the control over to you. I want to give this over to you. As much of a challenge as that is, and as difficult as that is to, to not take it back. If we do that, then we're going to find that Jesus will take it and make it into something so much better. Just like Jesus took the one experience of him that Peter had, as awesome and as amazing as that is, he turned it into something better. And in doing so, he turned Peter into something better. And so for me, it's control, it's security, it's stability, it's all these things. And I'm, I'm learning to let go. And this journey for me is, is partly that. It's partly just letting go of what is safe, what is known, what's familiar. And trusting God that he's going to take what is in my open hand and he's going to take me to somewhere that's better than I could have ever imagined. Take me somewhere that is far better than I could ever have found on my own. And that is just becoming really dear to my heart. Even as I say this, I just get excited by that. And, uh, and I know that, that while our things are all across the spectrum, that there's always things that we can learn to let go of. 
And so that's what I want to pray for right now. I just want to pray for that strength. I want to pray that the Holy Spirit would reveal to us what we're holding on to so that we can let it go and experience that life that he is giving to us. So um, is it okay if we just stand up right now and I just want to, just want to pray this prayer. And Jesus, we thank you that you promised us life. We thank you that, um, that you promised to take us farther than we could ever get to on our own. And Jesus, we just confess that, that we tend to hold on. And in our lack of faith and our lack of trust, we want to be in control. We want to run the show. We want to, we want to take over. And so, Jesus, we just confess that to you. And we just confess anything in our hearts that, that we know of, that maybe that your Spirit is bringing to us right now, just that anything that, that we've been unwilling to let go of. And, Jesus, we just pray that, that by the power of your Holy Spirit, we know we don't have to do this on our own, we don't have to find the strength on our own, that you're going to give it to us, but, but still we want to take that step just to open our hands. And if there is anything that, that maybe you're holding on to, maybe just, maybe just hold your hands open to Jesus and just picture it there and just say, Jesus, I offer this to you. And Jesus, we just pray that you would take that from us and just take the burden from us. That we know that, that these burdens aren't ours to bear, that you are bearing them for us if we're willing, if we're willing to give them over to you. We pray for the strength not to take it back not to try to pull back what we've given to you, to close our fists again. But that we'd be able to keep our hands open, and that, Jesus, that we'd see you take that, take whatever we're offering to you right now, and turn it into something amazing. That you would, you would work miracles that we could never see on our own. That you would do things that we could never do. That you just reveal your power, reveal your faithfulness, and reveal your love to us through this, Jesus. And we see miracles by you working. And we thank you, Jesus. And we thank you that, that it's not your will that we bear these burdens. That... Your yoke is easy and your burden is light. And so we accept that, Jesus, as, as your promise to us, as your gift to us. So we accept that and we choose to walk into it. We choose to accept it. We choose to give our burdens over to you, Jesus. For the glory of your name, amen. part of that prayer we're going to sing a song